0: We will be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The title of the message is Jesus Emmanuel. And if you don't know what Emmanuel means, don't worry, we'll get there. But here's where we're going today. Matthew gives us Joseph's perspective on the arrival of Jesus, showing the miraculous coming of God with us to save us from our sins. Today, we should trust Jesus to fulfill His name, that is salvation from our sins. And we should trust him to be with us via the Holy Spirit as we follow him. Now, if you're like me, we're, we're all getting ready for Christmas. Uh, I, I did manage to get a few lights up. It, about six hours later, they were falling down, so I had to do a better job the second time. Uh, turns out you can't use scotch tape to hold uh, the lights on the side of, of a building. So, you know, lesson learned there. But we're also, as a family, we're watching Christmas movies, and it's something we like to do. They only come out this time of year. So I'm curious, what's one of your favorite Christmas movies? Somebody tell me. Go ahead, Eliah the santa claus okay uh good one yeah i got some nods go ahead hannah what's one of your favorite home alone, home alone. okay the nice one yeah got some funny scenes there Addie, go ahead uh, the you like the grinch okay a mean one mr grinch yeah somebody else what's one of your favorite chris okay go ahead ezra Okay, you like the Santa Claus too and the star all good ones, you know, very good. I got anybody who remembers you know like miracle on thirty fourth street yeah the a favorite or it's a wonderful life any- yeah there we go some some still like that one uh let's see what a Christmas story that's not a bad one uh shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> Uh, we, we have watched, because my kids got into it this year, you heard it a few times, but the Santa Claus, the one with Tim Allen, and, and we like that one. And if you remember the story, he's a very busy guy, too busy for time with his family, and he's got his son with him. He's, he's divorced and has uh, joint custody of his son. But on Christmas Eve night, he hears somebody walking on his roof And he goes out and he says, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And this guy gets scared and he falls off the roof and poof falls into the snow, and the guy's wearing a Santa Claus outfit, and so he thinks it's uh, odd, and he's wondering what's going on, and before he knows it, the guy's vanished, and all that's left is the clothes, and so at the urging of his son, he puts on the suit, and before you know it, the magic happens, and he's Santa Claus. Scott Calvin has become Santa Claus, and really the whole movie is this story where nobody believes him. Right? He, he starts magically putting on weight and he goes into a board meeting where he works and they all look at him like, what's happened to you? And he is obsessed with reindeer and they say, hey, you need to go get some help. And and it keeps getting worse, right? He goes to his son's soccer game and all the kids just start lining up to tell Scott Calvin what they want for Christmas. And, and his ex-wife's new husband is a psychiatrist and said, here's my card, please call me, right? And they think he's gotten so bad that his ex-wife decides that it's time to get full custody and convinces a judge to take away the visitation rights so that Scott Calvin can't see his son anymore. He's he must have gone nuts. But see the whole time we know he hasn't gone nuts. You know it's it's really true. He actually has become Santa Claus. And so the whole movie builds to the moment when Scott's family finds out what we've known all along. No, 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 he's not crazy. It's actually true. And and then they find out and it's wonderful. They they finally believe him. Well, today, we're gonna see a similar thing happen in Matthew chapter one. We're gonna see the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph, who the whole time thinks that somebody he really cares about has just gone crazy or is telling a terrible lie. And it's all gonna build till the moment that Joseph finds out it's really true Now last week we heard this incredible backstory of the hero Jesus we saw his origin as the son of Abraham and the son of David and we traced his lineage and we saw that this was crucial so that he could come and fulfill all the promises that God had made in the covenant to Abraham and in the promise of this one in the line of David who would rule on the throne of Israel forever. We also saw the compassion of a sovereign God to bring in foreigners into Jesus's line, women like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. And so we learned to expect that King Jesus would be a God of both great power and of compassion. And so today we're going to turn to the birth of Jesus And we're going to see really two things about Jesus, that he came to save us and to be with us forever. And then we're going to meet Joseph, this Hebrew man chosen to be the legal or adopted father of Jesus. And Joseph is really going to struggle to believe what seems to be an unbelievable account So if you have your Bibles on on your phone or uh, a paper Bible like I have, turn to Matthew chapter 1 and I invite you to stand in honor of God and his word as we read it together just like they did in the time of Ezra the priest. Starting in verse 18, God's word says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. And I ask that you send the Holy Spirit right now to awaken in us again this excitement and joy and amazement at you. Help us to understand how incredible this is and what it means for us today. I ask this, Jesus, in your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, first, we have twice in this passage that Jesus came from the Holy Spirit. And it's in verse 18 and in verse 20. And this really answers the question how. Jesus came now i 've got to start you know when when it says the birth of Jesus, this means that this is an uh, a story of the beginning or of the arrival of Jesus in the sense of his coming to earth, not of his his beginning as in him coming to existence, right. We know from the account in John chapter one, verse one that Jesus has always existed as the second person of the Trinity. So it's not when Jesus began to exist. Listen to how John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What this means is before the world began, Jesus is. And so the birth of Jesus marks the special moment when the second person of the Trinity adds humanity to his deity. He doesn't begin, but he is born. Now, that prompts the question, right? Any, any logical person would just say, well, well, how is that possible, right? I mean, how is it that God can be born? The one who makes everything uh, comes into the earth, and w- all we're given from the Bible is this, well, it happens from the Holy Spirit, In verse 18, this is alluding to an incredible account where this young girl named Mary gets told by an angel that the Holy Spirit is gonna overshadow her. And even though she's never been with a man, she will have a child. And and it's just this wonderful mystery, and we will explore this more on our Christmas Eve Eve service on the 23rd at 6 o'clock. So there's your little uh, invitation to come join us for a Christmas Eve Eve service, and we'll hear the Christmas account from Mary's perspective. But this morning, from Joseph's perspective, Matthew tells us an angel appears to Joseph and tells him exactly what the angel told Mary, that the child is going to be from the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this not mean? Well, this does not mean that there was some kind of intercourse between God and Mary. If if you're thinking that, please don't. God is holy, God is spirit. That is not what is going on. This also doesn't mean that Mary had intercourse with somebody other than Joseph. God is holy, and he has appointed that there is one proper place for sexual intercourse and that is within a marriage. One man, one woman covenanted together in marriage. That is where sex is a good thing. And so God is not appointed for Mary to have intercourse outside of being married to Joseph. What does this mean? This is one of those miraculous mysteries in the Bible. We don't know exactly how all this occurs. But we know that the Holy Spirit made it to where God the Son was conceived inside of the womb of Mary. I, I, mean, I mean, think about that for just a minute. The God who said, let there be light, is, is, is suddenly growing fingers. Like, like has to wait for his eyeballs to be developed. The the God who provides all of us the food that we eat has to be fed from an umbilical cord, right? Like this is incredible. God is in the womb of Mary. And this prompts a second question, and that is why? Why would God subject himself to all of this? Well, here's the answer. Jesus was born of a virgin, to be born without Adam's sin. And it reminds us that children are a wonderful blessing from the Lord. Let's start with the general reminder that God would decide in his graciousness to get inside of a womb and to be born as a little baby. It reminds us of this great fact in the Bible, and that is that children are a blessing from the Lord. God's always the one who blesses with kids. You know, if we were to go back and just look at some of the important first families, Abraham married Sarah, right? And they could not have children until Sarah was over 90 years old and finally God blessed them. When, when God told Abram, hey, I really am going to give you a son through Sarah, she overheard and she thought it was so ridiculous, she laughed at the idea. There's no way in my old age that I'm going to have a son. And indeed, God blessed her with Isaac. And then Isaac marries Rebecca and they too struggle to have children It's not until God, or until uh, Isaac prays and God blesses Rebekah, not just with one child, but with twins, Jacob and Esau inside of Rebekah. And then Jacob loves and marries the love of his life, Rachel, and she can't have children. And she is so distraught over this. She actually tells her husband one day, give me children or I'll die in Genesis chapter 30. And she prays, Jacob prays the Lord finally sees her and blesses her with children Joseph and eventually Benjamin and so what we see is this saga where God is the one who blesses with children so much so that later King Solomon can say this children are a heritage from the Lord offspring a reward from him One of the reasons at Redemption Church that we are intentionally bringing the kids into the service is because part of what it means to be part of Redemption Church is to welcome children as a blessing from the Lord. We all join in this role as we come alongside parents and say, hey, let me help you. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you and support you because those kids that you have, those are a blessing from the Lord. And this is countercultural. You see, we live in a day and age where children are at best an inconvenience to be put off until you absolutely have to right? You hear people talk about getting married and they say something like, well, we got to have a bunch of good years first and then we'll have kids. As if like when you have kids, well, those good years, they're gone. You know, now, now starts the grind of having to, I don't know, deal with kids. And, and I mean, nobody says it like that, but you, you catch the drift of their meaning. And my wife and I, we're blessed. We have five kids and praise the Lord, we have a sixth one on the way. So we love kids. And, and it's incredible when we share, especially with people outside the church, they kind of look at us like, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, as if, um, you know, we, we have contracted some kind of disease, right? right? Like, like you're carrying, um, you know, some, something that's bad. I, or, or the worst, we'll hear like, well, don't you know there's a way to prevent that? You know, you know, as if it was just by accident, like, oh man, we didn't even know and suddenly we had kids, you know? No, children are a blessing from the Lord, and part of what it means to be part of Redemption Church is to embrace this fact. Now, here's here's something, parents. I want to get very practical for a minute. One of the things you'll hear from this culture that we're in is that not just should you ideologically see kids as an inconvenience, you ought to take medicine to make sure you don't have kids, and this is. Uh, something that your doctor may not even discuss with you women. When, when you're put on birth control, many of the birth control methods that a doctor gives you are actually abortifacient drugs. What that means is they will cause you to have an abortion. And your doctor may not tell you this and you need to ask these questions because if children are a blessing from the Lord, then part of what it means to be a Christian couple is never to view abortion as the option. If you just can't care for a child, view adoption as the option. Get some help, but never go to the point where you think the only option to you is to murder a child. Please hear this. That God lived for nine months in a womb tells us, that that baby inside you is a blessing. No matter the circumstances of the conception, I promise you we're going to meet a couple that was surprised to have Jesus in their life, and yet this was a blessing. And so, hear me when I say that children are a blessing from the Lord, and that's part of what it means to be part of Redemption Church. Now, on the why Why would God go to the lengths of entering a womb that, that takes us back it up a little bit And if you heard up here When Pastor Jeff was talking He, he brought us back to Genesis 3 and, and something happened in Genesis 3 That has affected every single one of us There were Adam and Eve in the garden They'd been given one command Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil And that snake, that ancient serpent, the devil slithered up to Eve and enticed her, tempted her to do the one thing she was told not to do and to take and eat the forbidden fruit. And then she gave some to her husband Adam and he did the one thing he was told not to do and he too ate from the fruit. And so sin entered the world and it has infected all of us. So much so that when Paul reflects on this, he says this, Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. All of us are born with a sin nature. And that means that we are born with hearts inclined to sin. We see that, right? Uh, When you're raising kids, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to cry. You don't have to teach them to take their siblings' toys. They get that part pretty well naturally. You have to teach them to share. You have to teach them to respect. You have to teach them to care for others. And that's because every human being born with an earthly father is born with a sin nature. And so, God had to do something new. He had to have his son born in such a way that he was fully human but did not have an earthly father to have Adam's sin credited to his account, coming all the way down through every father in history. And that's what he did. He gives us Jesus, this new Adam. Listen to how Pastor David Platt summarized the importance of the virgin birth. In the virgin birth, Jesus did not inherit a sinful nature, nor did he inherit the guilt that all other humans inherit from Adam. A new Adam has come on the scene, a man who would not succumb to sin. The God who creates in Genesis 1 is recreating and redeeming in Matthew 1. He's making a new way through the virgin birth of Christ for humanity to be rescued from sin. That's why God went to so much trouble to have his son be born of a virgin woman. And so we shouldn't quickly say, oh, you know, this is just one of those things Christians believe it's not that big a deal. No, no, catch this. If Jesus isn't born of a virgin woman, even if he never sinned, he would have a sin nature and could not be our sinless savior. It has to happen just the way Matthew says it happens for him to be our Savior. So, Jesus is conceived from the Holy Spirit. That's necessary for us. And children are to be treasured from God. But now we turn not to just how and why Jesus came, but to what purpose. And that is to save his people from their sins. Look with me back at verse 21 in Matthew chapter 1. The angel said, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That word that we pronounce Jesus in the Greek was Iesus, and in the Hebrew was the word Yeshua. We, We might say Joshua, and it means this, Yahweh is salvation. Or, or another way to say it, Yahweh, my salvation. You see, wrapped up in the name of Jesus is the mission of Jesus to save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know about you, but as I started to wrestle uh, as an adult in life with the implications of the gospel, there was a little bit of ego rubbing the wrong way right? If you're an American, and especially an American who's, who's prosperous, to be told initially that you need to be saved is somewhat offensive. What do, you, what do you mean I need to be saved? I'm doing pretty well. I've got a happy life. I've not murdered anybody. I've not done anything too bad. What do you mean to imply that I am not okay? Saved implies that you're not doing too hot, or maybe that you're in danger of something. And for most Western people, especially in America, danger is something we watch for entertainment on the TV, right? We don't go through life thinking that we are in danger. We've got, you know, alarm systems for that, and life insurance for that, and health insurance for that. We're we're doing pretty good. But here's what it meant in first century Palestine. Palestine. You see, when Jesus comes on the scene, they knew danger. They knew the precariousness of life. They were under the boot of Roman control. They lived life with the danger of war and disease and uprisings and famines and fluctuating economies and a leader who was a despot, and we'll meet this tyrant next week, a king named Herod. They lived in which they knew life was a bit precarious. I've got to tell you this morning that even if you've got it made, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but even if you've got it made, you're in more danger than you know. Your life is not as settled and safe as you think it is. The Bible tells us that Jesus comes to, be saved, to save us from our sins because we all have a problem. Now, they're going to be up here, but you need to know this. Our problem, our main problem as Americans, it is not social. You see, there's a a thing going on in our country right now, and it's very real, but it is a, a racial tension and strife that is bubbling to the surface. And for many, this is a daily reality, and it's really a problem that they cannot come and know that they are valued no matter their race or ethnicity. And this is a problem, but it is not our main problem as Americans. It's not social. Our main problem is not biological. If you've been watching the news or late, you will be told or tried to be convinced that the coronavirus is your biggest problem in life. And the coronavirus is a problem, but your main problem is not the coronavirus. It's not biological. It's also not economic. Oh my goodness, has the economy been going up and down and the job market left and right? And if you have tried to follow the stock market, it looks like a seismograph for an earthquake, just blah, 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 blah. It, It's not good right now. And, and you shouldn't, if you're the, the type like me that's got a ways before you retire, don't freak out over your uh, retirement plan going up and down and up and down. Uh, your main problem, as big as the fluctuations have been, is not the economy in the US. It's also not political. I don't really need to know who you voted for in the last election or who you plan to vote for in the next, but you can see, right, that we are not a united people. You could see that the, the uh, back and forth between Republicans and Democrats, you, you almost think that people would hate uh, a Democrat or Republican more than they'd hate enemies outside the walls. You go, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're all part citizens of one nation under God. I mean, we can disagree but still be citizens together. But even with the divisions, our main problem is not political. And finally, it's not educational. Those of you who uh, have children in public schools, whether it's elementary or middle or high school, or those of you who are in the school system, whether it's elementary, middle, high school, uh, college, you know that there's some problems with our education system. Whether it's, uh, there, there are some for whom they just don't have the same opportunities that others have, that the unequality in our education system, or the fact that certain uh, districts are just remarkably underfunded. If, if you're a teacher in today's public school system, God bless you. You are underpaid, overworked, and, and, and I just pray a blessing on God from you. But even with all the problems, your main problem as an American is not educational. Your main problem, whether you're an American or any other uh, nationality, is theological. You are a sinner. And you will stand one day before a holy God. And that's your biggest problem. You need to be saved from the just penalty for your sins. Now, I think we live in a day and age where those of you who are saying here over about 60, what I'm gonna say to you right now is so basic, you go, well, that doesn't even need to be explained. But those of you who say who are um, 40 years old or under, you need for me to be able to tell you clearly what happens to you if you're not saved. Here's here's where we're going to go in the gospel of Matthew. We're going to see that there is a punishment for sins that will fall on you if it doesn't fall on somebody else. The just punishment for your sins against an eternal God is an eternal punishment. What it means is after you die and you stand before Jesus as judge, if you are standing alone, you will be consigned to a place called hell where you will suffer forever. It never ends and it's terrible and my heart hurts thinking about it. But that is the reality that is laid out in the Bible. If God doesn't intervene, every human being is bound for hell. And so God intervened. God did what we couldn't. In love, he sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins by living the perfect life we couldn't, by dying in our place, taking our punishment on the cross, and by rising from the grave. That is what it means when it says in the Bible that Jesus came to save his people from our sins. And that's why uh, the, the disciples later will happily affirm this. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name Under heaven given among men By which we must be saved The name of Jesus means Yahweh my salvation And so Jesus came by the power of the Holy Spirit To be born without sin To save us from our sin And then to fulfill the promise to be God with us I just love this Look at verses 22 and 23 We're we're told there that all of this is happening to fulfill what the Lord had said by the prophet. And that is by the prophet Isaiah. That behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a prophecy made in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. And it helps to know the story a little bit. There was a king in Israel Uh, He was over Judah and and he, he had a problem. His name is Ahaz. At that point, the two kingdoms separated. So there's Judah in the south, that's where Ahaz is, and there's Israel to the north. And then north of that is Syria and there's a king there as well. And the king of Israel and the king of Syria have made an alliance and decided they're gonna wipe out Judah. They're gonna attack and King Ahaz is scared to death So much so that God sends Isaiah to tell him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart faint. God promises that this alliance between Israel and Syria will will not come to pass. It will not result in Ahaz's doom. And he even, God is so kind, he he gives Ahaz this unique permission. He, He says, You know, through prophet Isaiah, Ask me for whatever sign you want and i'll do it so that you can know that i will protect you you think about that i mean you could you could ask for anything all right god make the sky i don't know green for an hour so that i know you'll protect me this this is such a unique privilege given to ahaz but ahaz is so rebellious he refuses to trust god even when god gives him this opportunity ahaz would rather trust in a foreign god. This is what we learn about Ahaz from 2nd Kings 16. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering. He sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. You see, Ahaz's heart was not with God. It was with foreign gods. And so Ahaz decides to pay a whole bunch of money to this foreign king a man named Tiglath-Pileser III. He's the king of a little nation called Assyria. And If you know the story, yes, the wicked king Tiglath-Pileser III does come and he wipes out Israel. He wipes out Syria and then he turns and he attacks Judah as well. So the very thing that Ahaz feared comes on him because he trusts the wrong king. But here's what God does. God says, all right, Ahaz, you won't ask for a sign, then I'll give you one. And here's the sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now, we're told this in Isaiah because wicked King Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign. And here's what happens. Isaiah goes and very soon with his wife, they conceive and they bear a son. And this son's name is hard to pronounce. We were talking about this in Sunday school, Daryl. Here's a, a mouthful. This son's name is Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> that is Isaiah's son's name. And just as God through Isaiah predicts by this time this son is young, the king of Assyria comes and he deals with Israel and he deals with Syria so that Judah is saved. And some people will, will hear this story and they'll, they'll keep reading, they'll find out that a son is born to Isaiah and then God saves Judah and they'll do a little bit of research And in that passage where it says the virgin shall conceive, the word virgin in the Hebrew is Alma. And it can mean just a a very young married woman. And it can mean a young unmarried woman who has not yet had sexual intercourse. And so they'll they'll do this research and they'll say, well, wait a minute. This doesn't necessarily mean a virgin. This could mean a young married woman and it seems to have happened there uh, in Isaiah's lifetime. And so Matthew made a mistake. This doesn't apply to Jesus. He doesn't have to be born of a virgin. I guess we should just rip Matthew out of our Bibles and be done. And I would say to them as lovingly as I could, you've misread the Bible. You've misunderstood the incredible thing going on here. See, what's happening is God is doing two things at once. Have you ever been to a place up in the mountains where you can look and you see this beautiful peak? And what you can't tell is just behind it, there's an even bigger peak until you stand on the first peak and you can look and go, I thought this mountain was tall. There's a mountain even bigger beyond it. That's exactly what God is doing through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is saying something that will have a little bit of fulfillment in his lifetime with his own son, but there's something even bigger to come. You see, God the Holy Spirit chose the perfect word, Alma, that would apply... To Isaiah's wife and be pertinent when Ahaz was around, but would apply even more when God's son comes on the scene. And when a virgin, this woman Mary, gives birth to a son who would not just mark some of God's help, but would mark the beginning of God with us forever. This isn't a mistake. This is exactly what we needed to see that Jesus is the greater and complete fulfillment of Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. This is why Paul will say all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And Christian, if you've come to a point in your life where you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not only Did Jesus come to mark the beginning of God with us? He promised, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And that happens by the Holy Spirit coming and residing in your heart so that God is indeed with you every single day. Do you need some good news this morning? If you're a Christian and you face something hard this week, say, you or someone you know is in a hospital room and you get some scary news. And because of COVID, maybe you can't even be with them when they get that scary news. You know what? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's say uh, you, you have this situation at work and you have a, a tough choice to make. Will you uh, do what is honorable and potentially face some, some you know, pushback? Maybe even you're going to lose your job. Or or, or do you, you know, give in and and compromise on what you know to be right in order to keep your job? What do you do? Well, you know what? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe you just feel alone or forgotten in the holidays. Maybe it marks this time where you remember people that you loved that have have died and have passed away. Well, you, you know what? You're not alone because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe... You you feel that you have been abandoned because your family, just for whatever reason and circumstances, no longer reaches out, no longer uh, calls. Well, Well, you know what? You've not been abandoned because Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Maybe you are getting close to the point where you are going to Pass away and and you're gonna meet God. You don't know when, but you know it's getting close. Well, you know what? You're you're not alone as you face that final dark leap. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he has promised to be with us always to the end of the age, and he does that by sending the Holy Spirit. One of the great kindnesses, Christian, you can take from this is that if you have the opportunity to be with someone, over the holidays you are being an extension of the hands and feet of God you don't know how big it can be to just call somebody tell them Merry Christmas invite them to come spend Christmas with you if you can and say hey hey I see you and I love you do that for somebody and and learn from Emmanuel who is God with us Well, we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit to conceive of God inside of the virgin woman. We've seen that Jesus will live up to his name to save us from our sins, to be God with us. We gotta close today, though, with this man, Joseph, who is the human in this story, who helps us understand what all of this was like from a human perspective. Kids, do you remember Joseph? If you have a, uh, a little nativity set at home where, you know, you've got a toy Joseph and he's standing next to Mary, he might even look like one of the shepherds. And a lot of the sets I've got, I can't tell the shepherd from Joseph. They look just alike. So it's like, well, if you lose a shepherd, you can always, or lose Joseph, you can make him from one of the shepherds. I don't know. Uh, but, but there's this Joseph in the story. What do we know about Joseph? Well, the fact is from the Bible, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph, we know, if we were to look in the Gospel of Luke, that he's living in Nazareth. We know from the way people speak about him that he's called a carpenter, which probably means more that he was a construction worker. He, he probably worked with more than just wood. Maybe he wore one of those hard hats, you know, and, and worked with his hands. Uh, parents, this just means that he was a, a, a skilled laborer. He was somebody who made his living with his hands we know about this man that uh, Joseph was of the line of David, that his ancestor was King David himself. And so his hometown would have been Bethlehem. That would have been his ancestral hometown, but that he had moved to Nazareth. And we know that... uh, by the time Jesus is an adult, it seems like Joseph has passed away because they they no longer will say, well, hey Joseph with, it. they'll just say, well, aren't his mother Mary and his siblings with us. And that Joseph probably did teach his son Jesus, that is his adopted son, how to work with his hands because Jesus will be called a carpenter. But other than that, we don't know a lot about Joseph, but this is what we know. From Matthew chapter 1 verse 19 that Joseph was a just man now let's let's pause for just a minute because Joseph is going to show all of us exactly how to respond to Jesus and it's by faith and obedience you see Joseph had a problem He's engaged to this woman, Mary. He's so excited about it. They're thrilled. And then all of a sudden, she comes to him one day with a tale that is just too hard to believe. She's pregnant and it happened by the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph, we don't have to know a lot about him to know that Joseph knows two things very clearly. First, he knows how somebody gets pregnant. He's familiar with the the birds and the bees, as it were. And, And then he knows that He is not the father. And so the logical conclusion is that somebody else is the father. It's not him and he is not okay with this predicament. And then to make matters worse, this woman Mary makes up this unbelievable story about an angel coming to her and telling her that she will be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What do you do if you're Joseph? I mean, you love this girl, but it, it seems like she cheated on you and that she's crazy I mean, what do you do, right? It it, it was Joseph's right, according to the Old Testament, not only to divorce her and to shame her, but ultimately to have her stoned to death. They took sexual sin so seriously. You can see it in Deuteronomy 22 where it says, if it's true that the evidence of virginity is not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house and the men of the city shall stone her her to death with stones because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joseph could have said, look, it's clearly she's not a virgin. She's pregnant and and I'm offended and I want you to treat her according to the letter of the law and her life would have ended. She could have been stoned for this. But he's a just man. That means Joseph fears God and he tries to treat people with dignity and respect as those made in the image of God. In his dealings, he is an honorable man. And so he decides, well, I can't marry her, but I can divorce her quietly so that she's not put to shame and her life is not jeopardized. And that's what, as he's wrestling, he has decided to do until one night something happens. God sends an angel to Joseph to confirm Mary's story. I want you just to imagine what it's like to to wake up after you've had this encounter you know to be true and an angel has told you, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is the turning point. It's when we find out that everybody finds out what we've known that Scott Calvin is Santa Claus. Hey, Joseph, guess what? Mary's not nuts. She's telling the truth. The baby is the son of God. And everything changes. He doesn't have to divorce her. Are are you kidding me? He now realizes that God chose Mary, which means God chose him to be the adopted father, the legal guardian of Jesus I mean, this changes everything. In in just a few words, Joseph's life has totally pivoted from being a wreck to being, why me, God? Who am I that you would decide to allow me to raise this boy? Just imagine that, and and learn from Joseph because we too have have a choice to make. We too hear this account that could seem unbelievable. I tell you your main problem is sin and the only answer is to put your faith in someone who died for you more than 2,000 years ago and more than that that he died and rose from the grave that can seem unbelievable but your response needs to be just the same as Joseph's because Joseph believed and then Joseph got right to work obeying you see that He woke up, he said, okay, God, I don't know what this will mean, but I'm gonna obey you because I believe. Took Mary to be his wife and exactly what the angel said, he named the child Jesus. Yahweh, my salvation. Do you have that kind of Joseph habit? Some of you here have been Christians for a long time and I say, praise the Lord. Do you have the habit though still today When you read your Bible and you say, hey, that's a word from God, I need to obey because God loves me. Maybe as we pray here for just a minute, what you need to do is say, God, give me that Joseph habit again. Give me that faith that says, Jesus, you're my king, and I'm going to obey when you tell me what to do from your word. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you're at this point in your life where for whatever reason you find yourself in a church this morning and you need to take a step. I'm gonna pray here in just a minute and we're gonna close out this service but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to God and ask him to forgive you. On the basis of Jesus coming, Jesus living, Jesus dying, Jesus rising, ask him to forgive you of your sins. And commit to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life. Christian, this is the true account of the birth of Jesus. I hope that you can catch some of that excitement and amazement again. And then you have this renewed passion to just trust Jesus and get to work obeying him day in, day out. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. I mean, really, really. We are your people by your grace because Jesus, you came. Because Jesus, you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Uh, you, you had to be perfect in every way so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our sin nature could be atoned for. And so you came and you were born of a virgin. You, you were the one who made the world inside of Mary's womb. And then Jesus, you became that beginning, that new time where God is with us forever we trust that this is true that Holy Spirit you are with us right now and that one day you'll be with us forever in the flesh and we will see you face to face how we long for that day Jesus I pray please right now that if there's anyone here who is not yet a Christian that you'd send the Holy Spirit to move their heart please help them to take that step to trust you to ask you to be their Savior and Lord to forgive them God, you're the one who is our salvation. Do for them right now what you came to do and forgive them of their sins. And give them the courage to talk to somebody. Please, Jesus, I, I ask that in your name. God, would you do a work too to help us as Christians to trust you day in, day out, to have that Joseph habit of trusting and obeying right away. I said, Jesus, please, in your name, amen. I hope you are blessed today. I'm gonna stand in the back here after this service and uh, that's just a chance if you wanna talk to somebody that that you'll have that opportunity. Uh, I also wanna make you aware of of just a a special opportunity we have as a church. This is a sweet family with some kids in the area who's been coming. And I wanna just just tell you a little bit of their story and, and give you an opportunity to come along and help uh, this this family reached out to us this week, and and they didn't ask for anything. But uh, you know, we as the church, your your elders, felt inclined to to come alongside. This this family has two little girls, uh, ten and twelve. They've been coming to the church on Wednesday night for a couple of years. They live uh, right down uh, the street uh, on Miss Muffet, and uh, the youngest daughter is especially struggling. And they have a total of four kids. And, and what what we, as the elders here at Redemption Church decided to do was to come alongside. they asked if we could give them some, some new beds, because they didn't have beds to sleep in, and God has been kind, and the beds have been provided and they asked if there was any way that maybe we could just help out a little bit with things like rent and some, some food for the holidays. And so if you'd like to give to this uh, sweet family, uh, Pastor Chuck is in the back and, and he'll help you do that. You can just write uh, for the family or for benevolence and, and, and he'll help you give uh, that as as you're leaving. Uh, it'll be right in the back over here. Um, praise God, aren't, aren't we a blessed people? Uh, Now, I have a few other announcements I want to close with. And and you tell me if I miss any of them, okay? Uh, So, in in an exciting way, on um, Thursday is Feeding Northeast Florida. And I got to say a public thank you to the children and to the senior adult ladies. All total, we have over 100 Merry Christmas cards for everybody who comes to this. So, thank you for doing that. And if you don't know what that is, this is a, a way that... Redemption Church has partnered with Feeding Northeast Florida to help the community out. And so on Thursday morning starting about 9:30 in the morning, uh, there are hundreds of vehicles who come to get fresh produce and groceries fresh meat uh, to just really bless them it's all free Uh, this is something Redemption Church if you ever want to help out uh, me and my family try to be there as often as we can it's a wonderful thing to come to and be a part of if you want to come this Thursday I could use some help in just handing out some of these Merry Christmas cards we'd love to have you be a part if you know somebody that this would bless come through and drive through with your vehicle and uh, we would love to bless you with some food also want to share that next Sunday, right after this time, we are going to have a Christmas party. And so we're going to do a lunch together. It's a potluck lunch, which if you don't know what that means, that means we're inviting you to come and bring something to share. Uh, it can be whatever you'd like, whatever Christmas dish you want to share. If you come and you forget, we'll let you come on anyway. But if you'd like, you just come on, bring something to share. We'll go right after this. There's a fellowship hall through here and we'll have lunch together to have a Christmas party. Also on Saturday night uh, at five o'clock at the church, we're coming up uh, here to, to go into the community and we're going to sing some some Christmas carols. And then we'll have a celebration after that. Uh, Daryl and Cheryl Gandy have opened up their house to have a party afterwards. This is something we do. There's there's some who would love to come to the church, but they can't physically be here. And so we're gonna go and sing some Christmas carols. You might say, Well, Pastor Jared, I don't know how to sing. I'd be that one off-key. I think it'll be funny for the rest of us. You come on, we'll be off-key together. It'll be a good time. Uh, and, and then as always. If you're a first-time guest with us, thank you. Thank you for coming, Um, really. uh, We're we're glad you're here. Uh, Please, if you can, fill out the little guest card just so we know how to pray for you and and love on you. And and for those of you who are members, thank you for your faithful attendance and your faithful giving. Your giving uh, through Redemption Church is what allows us to still be a gospel witness in this community. Thank you all so much. Uh, Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. God, again, we thank you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. You are so good to us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.